0: Oh, we are in for an amazing treat with Teresa Joyce, and she was on the program six years ago. Teresa, welcome back for a definitely powerful follow-up on surviving sexual, psychological, and emotional abuse, and maybe now even the abuse of the complicated system to get some things turned right. So, Teresa Joyce, welcome, and thank you for joining us.
1: I'm glad to be here, Carol. It's nice to talk again.
0: I I just want to kind of laugh, a painful laugh when you say that, because it's nice to talk again. It's such a gracious way of of offering listeners help, but this has got to be painful. It's painful to hear. Isn't it still painful inside of you?
1: No, it isn't. Um, it's in a place now within my core that I, I call it like I've put it in a box, you know. It's inside of me. I can't get rid of it. It happened. It's an experience. What I've learned to do is put it where it needs to be to be able to live with it, take it out every now and again to examine because we have to. Sometimes we have to look back to where we were to know why we're here today. Um, so, no, it's a safe place in me and uh, it, it just exists and I'm happy to live alongside it
0: oh my goodness you sound so different than six years ago and just in your tone of voice and just in those words and you were processing beautifully at that time uh so first update our well how do we do this Uh, Teresa? i think people need to know what you've gone through so that they can understand they could listen to the previous program but immerse us back into these horrors and then update us on what's happened and then we want to spend the most of our program on how you've gotten to this amazing spot that you just so clearly declared so take us back yep
1: okay um i was abused as a child which was um suppressed i had no memory of that abuse at all i knew that there was something wrong that um i felt different i didn't know why um i always felt very awkward as a child that i didn't fit um, but uh, I guess then I knew what was going on, obviously, because it was happening. But as I got older, my abuse was from the age of 7 to 14. Um, past that point, I suppressed that memory. I still must have known something within me because I um, chose, I knew I had to get out of that house and away from my stepfather and what was going on there. And I took the steps of going down, getting on a bus, going to, into town, and I joined the Royal Air Force. And I left two months before my 15, uh, sorry, 16th birthday. Um, and from that point on, I never really remembered anything. I didn't really remember why I was going. I just had this, like, burning feeling. And it was saying, it isn't safe here. I'm not understanding what I wasn't safe from. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the oh. Royal Air Force. I got married. I came out. and uh, At the age of 35, my stepfather decided that, Uh, You know, he was coming back into my life um, in a very strong emotional, psychological, and physical and violent way. Um, Oh, wow. It went on for a period of four years. Uh, At the end of those four years, uh, the only way I thought I could stop it was not to be here anymore, as I mean on the planet. Mm -hmm. I thought wrongly, as I will tell your listeners now, that if I remove myself from the situation it would get better, which it wouldn't have. You know, Um, it would just cause more pain for everyone. So if there's anyone out there listening, that wasn't the right way to go for me. It isn't the right way to go for you. Uh, I got through it. I'm here today. I've written a book. I have a website, and I'm happy to share my abuse, and, and I'm comfortable with it. You know, so if I can be, anyone can be. You know, what I'm saying is don't think you can't because you really, really can I
0: know that reading your book and talking to you last time, the convoluted, aggressive, threatening, uh, sinister fashion in which your stepfather tried to abuse you as an adult uh, was just, just so scary to, to hear about. And at that time, you were going underground and, yet, and using a pen name. Uh, what's happened since that time uh, in, the, in these last six years?
1: Um, I got to a point in my life, in my own recovery, where I was so comfortable with what happened to me, uh, I felt I was able to address my stepfather, i.e. let him know that he may have taken my power, I'm taking it back. Now, I'd I'd done that within myself, but it wasn't obvious to him. And it took me a few years to get there, but one day um, I was just walking down the street and I thought, you know, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm safe to do this. I wasn't sure I was beforehand whether I could cope with him knowing um that i was taking about my own power you know even though i had uh, with people around me in my own close unit i needed him to know and i guess that's something i needed to do so uh you know i i actually picked up the phone and rang him i had his number from many years ago and i didn't even know if i would still be the right one but he answered and um he tried to say hi how are you and you know like we were best buddies and i just said to him look it stops you know it stops now um I know he was aware of my book, and uh, he sort of said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, that's fine. You don't need to admit anything, but you're going to be uncomfortable for a few months, the same as I've been all of my life. You're going to have some bit of uncomfortable movement happening around you. I then came off the phone, and I rang the police. Um, I set up a meeting. I I had to do a two-hour video um, recording, which was quite hard, you know, emotionally, Mm -hmm. because you have to explain Mm -hmm. such graphic details you know in case it goes to court i never really thought it would because it was so long ago um i just wanted him to know how it felt you know that somebody else knew and i wasn't afraid anymore he had to he's living (laughs) in germany now so he had to come back to the uk twice to be interviewed by police um it was very uncomfortable the cid officers that spoke to me said they knew he was lying but he was the arrogant man i always remember him being um, and, but it was enough. Mm-hmm. They came back to me and said the, cross, um, the Crown Prosecution Service in the UK felt they weren't 100% sure they would get a conviction. But I wasn't wow. looking for that, so it wasn't. It wasn't a horror. You know, I wasn't horrified with it. Um, I just thought, you know, you know, that's all I needed to do. Um, um, yeah, and that closed another door for me. It was literally like I was healing. I'm always going towards recovery every day. Um, but that was a huge door for me to shut, really, and say, You know you're really done that you know everybody now knows so you did not go to court then no, we didn't go to court they did they said they didn't have enough evidence it was um historic. Uh you know, and the, the problem with the Crime Prosec- Prosecution Service in the UK, they have to be 99% sure they're going to get a, a conviction because of the funds that are applied into, um, you know, taking this guy to, to court, really. Um, I was told by all the officers I saw that they totally believe me. There was supporting evidence. Um, they actually extended his bail for another six months to try and find further evidence, but it was so far back. Um, you know, there were people around that knew of it that aren't anymore. My mother had passed away. Um, and there were some people within the family that were questioned, but they refused to, to acknowledge it happened. So, you know, which I I totally expected that too, you know, because the door was closed on me by them many years ago when this was happening as an adult, you know, they didn't want to believe, uh, they wanted, you know, to to think that that could not happen, it couldn't be, and I lost a lot of family members during that time because of that situation, you know, but um, you get to a point where they don't matter anymore, you know, I don't need to look for others around me within my family core to support who I am, and... Uh, okay, he didn't go to court, but he had a very uncomfortable 18 months coming back from Germany to UK and being interviewed. And it it, it was just me really saying, you know, I don't really care if you go to prison. I care that you know I've told them. Hmm.
0: I am just kind of like sitting here wishing for you that you would have gotten the day in court and he would have been in prison. He would, you know, have the prolonged suffering. And so I'm obviously really invested in this all being put into this this sense of righteousness, and so you seem to have set that a set that into a peaceful spot inside of you, feeling I don't know satisfied is the right word, but feeling like okay that was sufficient for this truth to come out. Have there been uh, moments in your relationships where people are acting like I am, where they're very very keen on wishing that you had more and they want to push it and so forth and so on, do they, do they get in your way or do they kind of avoid the whole thing? Or what's the combination of reactions from,
1: from friends? Friends um, have the same thoughts as yourself, you know, that this should mm-hmm. have happened, that he should have gone to court. Family members didn't want to, even those that may have acknowledged it without it being you know within the police um corps and being dealt with when they were interviewed, they suddenly had you know memory loss um and they didn't oh, want to be with, involved or um they would be involved- they would say what they knew, but they wouldn't go to court it was it was all some members were saying that um, you know I was doing what I was doing was hurting my mother's memory, and that um, I was you know making her look a lesser of a person, which wasn't my intention. Um, but you know people they have their own thoughts and um, conclusions about how they feel, and I really felt that some of them, even though they knew, couldn't deal with the fact that it was it was true, you know, by saying it out loud, because they didn't help me then. That was sort of my mum's brothers and sisters. It was, it was a nasty smell, really, and I should have, you know, I should have left the lid on. Um, and a lot of people walked away from any support that they were giving when I actually made that choice to go to the police. But I was expecting it. you know. When you know something's going to happen and the only person you do it for <clears throat> is yourself, that's all you need. I just needed to do it for me. Yes, he, I, I wish he had gone to prison too, but he did in a way because I put him in a prison inside of myself. You know, that's what, that's the box that he's within. So, you know, I put him in a prison within me, which was all that I needed.
0: Okay, Teresa, you're going to have to share with us the ways that you have recovered or in the process of recovering to get you to this, this uh, kind of equanimity that you're talking about without without forgiving and without making nice and without, you know, saying, okay, we'll forget it all. You know, you're not going into that space that's really unrealistic uh, and not honoring to yourself. So how have you, how, what steps did you take? Who did you reach out to? What assistance did you get? What processing did you work through? And, um, and how did those that supported you actually support you so that you could create this inner space inside yourself as well?
1: Um, gosh, it took years because, as with everything, we go through um, a process at different rates. For ev- Everybody does that. And I saw yes. many psychologists, psychiatrists, um, you know, home workers, support workers. I saw many, many. And, you know, this abuse ended in 94, and, and I never really looked. Well, I was seeing people from 94 up until I wrote the book in 2011, And I don't know, I never found someone that could help me. And I don't think it was anything to do with themselves. It was to do with me not finding the right person for me, which I always try and put out there, you know, don't be put off by the first person, the 20th person you see that. You don't feel you gel with or can't help you. You have to keep going. You know, and I met this lady, um, and uh, it just happened. It worked. She didn't do anything different. She didn't say The words weren't any different that she used. There was just something that went between us that I felt comfortable enough to go in and find, you know, and let go of these secrets that uh, I just felt safe with her to have them. And I hadn't found that before. You know, I'd, Mm. I'd sort of gone in a little bit, but I could never really fully go into a place where I could tell her or tell anyone everything. Um, And it happened. And it was a couple of weeks where I think, to be fair, she sat in a room and didn't say much. I was just saying, you know, I was just talking. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was just like the the floodgates have opened. And um, I'm not even sure some of the words were cohesive or even, you know, running in sentence or making sense. But they were Mm -hmm. for me because it was like I was opening Pandora's box. And it was just flooding out and I had no control in, you know, the way it came out. (laughs) Uh, I saw her for a few weeks, and then she said to me, you know, how are you you between sessions? And I said, you know, I struggle sometimes. I'd like to be able to talk to you, but I don't feel as though I should or could. Um, And she said, well, okay, when you're not here in a session, write down how you feel. So I did. I started just writing down emotions. Uh, Again, didn't really read like they were anything, but they were inside me, so I had to put them down. And without really knowing, I started to form sentences and then paragraphs. And I just felt like my fingers on the keys felt as though I was expunging it from me. It was, you know, I was letting everything out, reading it. And I was actually reading it, believing or thinking it wasn't even my life. I got to that point where I thought I was writing about somebody else. and It was helping me that way. Um, So one day I said, hey, you know, somebody else could, you know, if I feel I'm writing about somebody else, what about all those other somebody else's out there in the world? You know, yes. can you not write it down for them, all of it? Um, and use it as uh, as therapy yourself. You know, if I tell the story <laughs> as a third eye, really, like I'm there and the audience or the readers are going along this journey with me. So I did. I sat down. It took me eight months to write it, maybe a little bit more, because there were times where I would reach a point in the book that, I, it was painful, you know, and I'd walk away and I couldn't go near, you know, near it again for a couple of weeks. Other times I woke up in the middle of the night and sat down and, you know, press the keys for 12 hours. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, she helped me to do that. It was just the smallest thing she said to me. She was telling me, get rid of it, you know, whichever <clears throat> way possible you can, get rid of it. And mm-hmm. the day I pushed the last full stop um, on the last chapter I just felt lighter. I I just felt as though something had been huge had been lifted from me. So this is a form of extraction. I mean, you literally it, it
0: was uh, it was a form of c- creating a type of cohesiveness around the experience, as creating a sense of clarity, a personal validation that this actually did take place and a a, a creation of meaningfulness out of it because you wanted to help others and also a way of kind of extracting it from inside yourself as opposed to allowing it to creep around and own you and spontaneously, you know, disturb your day or night. Uh, It's powerful that the use of words both verbally and in written form would have such an impact on you, Joyce. Hmm.
1: Yeah, uh I sometimes think, you know, I, I wonder, how did I get there? But we all we have to remember that we, we never leave it. We can't make it go away. You know, it happened to us. We have to get to a place where um, we're comfortable to hold it, you know, because mm-hmm. these people say, put it down. Well, you can't fully put it down. You never can, you know, and I think it's unrealistic mm-hmm. um, yes. to think you can. Um, you just have to get to a place where you're comfortable with it being there. Um, and, you know, no one can give that to you it's something you have to find yourself which is why i say you have to keep looking you know never give up hope of finding that right person that right thought the right place <laughs> you're in you know who knows what it can be um but there'll be a right time in your life where you know you say i can do this And um, you know recovery is a long road and we never yes, ever come off it you know we i'm on my, i'm still on the road to recovery because i'm alive i'm human i have thoughts and feelings you know that i can't blank them out And I do go back sometimes, I sometimes read my book through a few chapters, um, Mm -hmm. or I look at my pieces on my website and read them, because I feel visiting them allows me to see, and others to see, that I can visit that now, and it not be painful to the point where I can't do it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable doing it. I can move in and out of those feelings, thoughts, emotions, reading the words, and you know, I don't get disturbed by it whatsoever. I, I do it quite often really to test myself sometimes. Um, and yeah, you know, it's a place we can all get to, but we can't let, make it go away. It's always going to be there.
0: I have so many questions running through my mind. I'm just going to give you a few. Choose the one that you want. How did the people who help you actually respond? What was, what was the the space that they created that actually made it doable for you with them would be one of them Two. how did you find this resilience inside of you to press forward when clearly you wanted to end it at times or clearly you wanted to escape and, and, and did perhaps. And how did you create safe harbors of escape? So I could go on and on, but let's, let's start with those.
1: Okay. Um, when you get to a point where there's nowhere else to go, you, you're, you're down as far as you can go. You know, there's nothing below down. You're on the, the floor, you know, you're, you're floored and you're grounded. And that's where I was at that point when I took my overdose. Um, it was in a, in a haze. I was in some type of haze where I everything that was going on around me didn't seem real, you know, but I was involved. Um, and what do you do with that? you do, Because there's only you that can do anything with it. So right. it, it's a case of sitting and saying, right, okay, you're here. Where, where are you going from here? Because there's no further. You can't go down any further. Do you want to go up? And that's what mm. I had to look for, the fact that I wanted to go up. And it can be the smallest, smallest thing, a morsel that gives you just that little bit of, yeah, maybe I can. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it can be slow. It can be take weeks. It can take months. But, you know, you put your foot on the first rung of that ladder, and you might not be able to step onto the next one for, I don't know, a couple of months. But you'll get there. You might put your foot on and have to remove it again because you're not quite ready. But eventually you will. And that's just what you have to do. Keep moving up, taking small steps, um, dealing with the things within you that uh, singularly, you need to separate everything because it's very, very difficult to put everything together And, you know, try and work it out. It becomes becomes a jumble in your mind. So you Mm -hmm. take a small part of that abuse or you remember a time that was particularly painful for you. And you you revisit it until you get to a place where it's not painful to go there anymore. And then you take Mm -hmm. another piece of that puzzle. And that's what you do. You're just, you're building. So all you're doing is rebuilding your life. And it's possible for everyone.
0: Oh gosh! So then, how have you rebuilt? What, what have you? What What is rebuilding look like for Teresa Joyce?
1: Well, I'm happy. Um, I don't. I no longer um, feel I was a bad person. I, I for so many years I was told I was a bad person. My real father was killed when I was three, and he was a drunk, alcoholic, wife beater. Um, I don't really remember him. I was only three when when he died, as I said. But my mother remarried when I was seven and when my stepfather used to abuse me i'll put in here right now the abuse when i was abused as an adult was when i got back the memories of my childhood abuse because of him yeah. revisiting my life within that it brought back those those painful memories um yeah. and then you, then i'm starting i'm going crazy you know this not this isn't me and i question my own sanity you know but it was me um it's hard hard to know what what the right thing is to say it's mm-hmm. um it's what what do you do when if you want something that much you can achieve it and i had i needed it that much you know so we all just need to need it that much and that
0: that you want is what
1: happiness Happiness, your own. contentment, um, yeah, my own. Um, f- uh, forgiveness, and that's not for me. That's for my stepfather because, you know, you can never forgive yourself before you, until you forgive your abuser, and that's not for them. It is for you because that forgiveness in totality has to be, you know, whole. It has to be everything. Um, I have that now. Uh, I now have um, three grandchildren um i've just seen them today i have my own house i write i do my website uh i I go and do what i want to do i help people which is a major thing for me you know i help out with some um abused um people within sort of like units that in the uk that are sort of held there struggling themselves i do it all charitably you know because it's never been about money for me this is why my book is now free as an e-book um, I just needed to help people. I didn't need to get rich doing it, you know. It was all and myself. If I'm honest, I started it for myself. That's why I wrote the book. Initially, was for me. Um, I feel whole, you know. I feel um, I enjoy my life. It, it's you get bad days, but everybody gets that, you know, whether you've been abused or not. So you know that's life. Um, but yeah, I'm in a place where I'm satisfied. I, I have a partner um, that. Lives about an hour and a half away from me, and I travel up and down to visit them. You know, a couple of times every month. Uh, it, 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 I'm in a different place. You know, I I just feel as though what he took from me, I've I've taken it back. But I've taken more than he took. I owe more of myself now than he ever took from me because I feel whole. <laughs>
0: Wow. Oh, wow. Just that feeling whole and, and all that you just talked about, you're, you're, you're finding and you're creating happiness, meaningfulness, connection, and wholeness inside yourself. It's just, I, I appreciate the, um, we're going to have this discussion about forgiveness in a moment, Teresa, but uh, I appreciate that. And basically you're saying, look, it, everybody's going to have to find their own collection of remedies, their own paths toward recovering and their own methods and a plural of being able to tackle each day at a time. Everybody's going to have to find mm-hmm. their own their own collection of things. There are many things out there, and our program, Path to Recovery After Abuse and Trauma, tries to provide well over a hundred different approaches. You're welcome to take any one of them, any hundred of them, uh, and, and move and move into your own directions, as opposed to feeling like you have to fall into someone else's cookie cutter formulas. But that takes a lot of um self determination and self directedness Teresa. Where did you find that inside yourself i, I you keep saying i just, I got to the bottom and looked up and said I had to be forward looking about what I wanted to create for myself but where what how did you find her
1: inside you because she was always there I mean it's a misconception, not always but sometimes that abusers. um they choose their victims because they're quiet or they're um, subdued or they're, you know, easily led. In fact I found with my stepfather absolutely that I was the challenge. I was the one that he had to break, you know. Everything he did, everything he had had to be the best, the fast, you know, the hardest to achieve. Um, and that was me out of my, my other siblings. Well one I've got a brother and a sister, but I was his choice basically because I was who I was. I had spirit. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that's how they're chosen. The trouble is, is after mm-hmm. the abuse and during the abuse, you don't find, you don't feel that because you you you, you, you can't experience it because you're within sexual abuse. So you lose yourself. Um, but mm-hmm. I know from from myself and through others that I, that I talk to that that person's never really gone. You know they're there because if they mm-hmm. weren't there, you won't you won't be where we are today. I wouldn't have achieved um, going through it if I was a different person, you know, and a lot of people need to understand throughout abuse, you're strong because you're still here, you know. You're that person that, yes, you were abused, but you're still here. You know, you're still here, and being here is important. Um, And I think that's basically what it is. You get to a point where you realize you're there. You know, that child within you suddenly is going, hey, you know, remember me. And they're there always. It's just that you have to... Jump over all these hurdles to find them again. Um, mm-hmm. But jump a hundred, jump ten. One day it'll be there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One day it will be enough
0: hurdles accomplished. So you're developing a muscle while you're trying to recover. Uh, lots of muscles that are all this 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 capacity to fight forward. You're you're also remembering the rebel that existed while you were being abused. You're also remembering yeah, the mean, emotions.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Um, At school, I was a naughty child. Um, Mm -hmm. I was rebellious. I didn't listen. I didn't, you know, do what I was told. Um, The teachers just thought I was naughty. I didn't even know why I was doing it. You know, it was obviously because of the abuse that I was um, receiving at home. And people say to me now, well, didn't anybody notice? Didn't a teacher, you know, say to you, well, you know, what's going on here or ask the question? And basically, no, I'm disturbing a classroom of children. You know, so I needed to behave. But that rebel within me that fought back, even though I couldn't fight against what was going on at home, I I tried to fight the outside influence or I, I had to rebel somewhere. And I couldn't at mm-hmm. home because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. I, I couldn't tell because I, would, I was told I would be put into a home and, you know, my, I would be moved away from my mother and I'd never see her again. No one would believe me. I mean, losing my father at the age of three is really hard. But, you know, when you're told at the age of seven, eight, you're going to lose your mum if you say anything. You know, that's doubly scary, you know, for a child of that age. Oh, yes, so, yes. I mean, at home, I had to I had to toe the line to him to keep that equilibrium. I couldn't let her know, and somehow I had to let go of the emotions and the pent up sort of pain and feelings within me. And I chose to do that at school. It wasn't recognised, you know. I it was recognised as being an, a naughty child, and I guess I was for all intents and purposes. But I had to find somewhere to, for an out to let go, um, and you know. So I know that I I was always there. It's just that I was being stood on, you know, in that, by that that person at that part of my life, you know. And eventually, you, you you know, you you want them to move your foot, their foot from you, and they do, but you have to push it.
0: Hmm. Okay, so then the experience of me of you is that you were astute enough to know where you could or couldn't rebel. You were shouting out loud messages, and i don 't know if you felt the hope that someone at school might be able to attend to the actual needs behind your rebellion, but you at least were you understood on some level you need to cathart the horribleness that was going on and express some sort of power somewhere, and then you had this astute capacity to Uh, appear to be submissive and cooperative or under the radar. And that also is a power, is knowing when to pop out with fury and power that's dominant and when to take a submissive role, not because you submit, but because it's the best way to maneuver an unsafe situation. These are skills. These are incredibly intense skills and wisdoms That you somehow have activated or reinvigorated to help you through this?
1: Yeah. um, The strange thing is, you know, when I'm talking to you and telling you this about my childhood, as an adult, I never, until I was, you know, put into that position once again of abuse, I didn't even remember all of this. I remember that I was a bit naughty at school, but I never really understood why I'd been like that. I just thought I was a bad girl because he told me that, you know. And it's only when the abuse for the four-year period when I was an adult, that things kept coming back to me, you know, and then I understood why I behaved that way and what I was trying to do. I've always had a great power of knowing my mind, you know. I mean, I was the child that went to school that learned a lesson. The teacher would say, you need to study. I'd say, no, I don't want to, but I'd pass the exam. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just sort of lucky that where I retained information. And I think I retained that person inside of me at that time, in the same manner um, I sometimes looked at the thing, how would you do that? you were you know seven, eight, whatever, when they started um and it just must have been the fact that i I wanted to be on the planet, you know in a subconscious way, I wanted to be here, and I had to find a way to do that um and so yeah, I had to learn to uh, as you said, when was the right and wrong place to to be that rebellious child, but it's those things are some of those things i didn't I don't remember at the time I know now from forethought of of you know it being re envisaged and re- and saw again through sort of new, my new eyes that I understand why I was doing that um but as nobody did anyone help me no not really um I know one day I made one of the um teachers cry, and I was so upset cause I made a cry but i uh, you know i I draw a deer um a you know a really nice picture of a deer, and i I remember during that time of drawing this that I felt. A real softness, some something inside mm. me felt soft that I, I'd never really felt, and mm. I showed it. I showed it to her, and because she liked it, I ripped it up. And, oh. you know, and it was like you know, and she cried, and I was so upset that she cried. But then I thought, why did I rip it up? You know, it was like mm. there's nothing good about me. How can that be good? You know, mm. I had to destroy the one thing that was I was being told in life that I did well. Always good. I didn't. I didn't want to see it. You know, I had to stay within that tumbleweed of I'm not. You know, I'm not good, um, and it doesn't make sense. It, well, it may now, obviously, because I'm an yes. adult and I'm revisiting. But as a child, I wouldn't accept that anything was good that I did. So I had mm-hmm. to destroy the one thing I've been told was good.
0: Have you tapped into that deer inside of you now adequately, or do you feel like you're still getting to know the the depth of your beauty your your gentleness your goodness your uh, heart
1: yeah i mean there's always room for recovery, <laughs> you know, improvement for all of us but i think that yeah um i know now i'm not a bad person i for so so long um i was told i was just like my father you know and that was the reason the abuse was happening i was bad so bad thing ha- happened to those that are bad and even in the adult abuse um There's a certain amount of grooming when you're abused as a child. And as an adult, when people are looking in at that, they feel, well, you're an adult. Why did you let this happen? I was trying to protect my mother, you know, because she had a very abusive first marriage. And um, as I went through four years of, you know, crazy stuff, my car had been, you know, trashed. uh, uh, He cut his finger off and delivered it to me as an apology. I had phone calls in the middle of the night. Um, you wouldn't believe the things that I went through you know, uh, even when he told my husband my husband worked for him and he decided that you know, that was fine because he told him we were having a relationship but even then, my husband if, if he, we were just having a relationship we seemed okay with that, you know so that's really hard when the, the one person you think should be there is suddenly saying well, whatever way around it is, it's fine you know, and I will say I'm no longer within that marriage but you there? know yeah, it, it's what
0: did you it was
1: think? a bizarre reaction of your husband, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was actually visiting my mother. Um, when I was working, I used to teach aerobics, and I was at the class, and he'd gone up there with my son to visit. And my mother rang me to say that she thought he was telling my husband, you know what, my husband um wasn't getting the truth. It was my stepfather's rendition of we were having an affair. And I sort of said, well, is my son there? That was my main concern. She said, no, he's not in the room. And I said, well, what's happening? And she said, nothing. And I thought, nothing. You know, whichever way around, uh, somebody tells um, their husband that this is going on sexually within, you know, this relationship. And they're okay with it. And I I sat there and held the phone in my hand and thought, wow, you know, okay, so who's there? There's no one but me. So that's what I had. Mm -hmm. I had to find me pivotal moments right
0: pivotal moments where you finally wake up or pivotal moments when you see that people are so blind and so in denial it's a shock though isn't it just a terrible terrible shock who people can be oh i
1: mean at one point my you know my mother didn't want to lose everything and i I'm told now that she must have known, or even if she didn't know when I was a child, she knew what was happening as an adult when she eventually found out when I took my ta- the tablets. Um, and I'm told she didn't do enough. I'm told by people, you know, she didn't help me. She didn't mm-hmm. do what she mm-hmm. should as a mother. And I hear all those words, and I understand them, but I don't feel any pain or animosity towards her. You know, I understand her weaknesses and why, she, why it happened that way. She couldn't deal with life on a certain level. Because, I mean, even at the age of five, um, my mother was working f- um, four jobs, no, sorry, three jobs, and she was doing an early morning paper round. You know, it starts at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I used to make myself wake up to go out and help her, so she'd only have to stop at the bottom of the path, and I would run up to put the, post, the paper through the door. And I took on a, a guise of having to protect her, even as a very small child, and that never went away. And I, I guess I always wanted to do that, and... So when people say that to me about my mother's, you know, emotions or her reaction or non-reaction, uh, how do I feel about that? I'm not angry because I don't think she could do anything else. You know, um, it seems a strange thing to say, but I always felt as though I had to help her. Um, that's why I, I, I guess it went on for so long before I couldn't take any more. But, you know, everybody is different. You know, I think my mother had a yes. strength, but it wasn't in that area. You know, she has a, a different strength than I needed at that point. Um, am I sad I didn't get it? Yeah, I am, you know, but what do I do about that? I'm not going to hold grudge or animosity or bad feeling because that's not helping anyone. You know, it's not. it won't certainly help me. You know, all that would do would open, you know, more source within myself. You know, I have to accept that it happened, she couldn't do anything, and I now have. <laughs> I'm going to wrap my, myself and our listeners
0: around this concept of forgiveness or releasing or understanding uh, individuals because I think that forgiveness is simultaneously a huge and dangerous uh, pit that I work with ab- abused individuals to walk out of. Because, and I'll explain this in a moment. And I also hear you and other individuals say forgiveness was so core to me releasing myself. From the various people that were involved either complicitly or uh, naively or powerlessly, or the actual abusers, you, you know that that you go through this transformation where you let go, you release you but what I'm hearing from you at, before we initiate this is that you began to be powerfully capable of your own clarity your own realities and then secondly you were able to validate yourself and say yes this did happen yes this was horrible yes all these various dimensions should not have occurred in the ideal situation or in the situation the short of ideal that was at least powerfully humane and respectful these things should not have happened to you i find myself feeling deeply moved by that conviction these things should not happen to other human beings and so that affirmation that clarity that understanding removes you from self-blame or shame or embarrassment or self-accusation into the clarity of i'm not to blame for this i am I am not to be shamed by this or embarrassed by what another person or set of people have done or their weaknesses. I'm also not to be kept weak and subservient or smothered by their weakness. I can be strong even Mm. though others cannot. So what would you like to say so far?
1: Well, you know, every one of us has a strength, you know, it's just sometimes we don't see it. It, it. There's a strength in all of us. It just takes the right key to open the door, Um, the right feeling about yourself. You know, you, you find everyone can find self validation by just looking within, and you know, that sounds quite sort of simplistic, but it isn't. You know, you have to actually go in yourself and, and deal with those emotions, and it's scary, you know, and it's, it's frightening. And the first time that I did that, I couldn't stay within for less than half a minute, you know, I had to jump out again. Um, and but I just kept going back as long as I didn't close the door, I could go in again. And I was never going to close the door because I knew closing the door would mean I'd never be able to open it. You know, so mm-hmm. something within me was saying, "Okay, it's painful. You, d- you come out, but you don't. You can. You know, you don't have to stay, but just leave that door ajar." And you've, I visited longer and longer. You know, sometimes I went in and jumped out again because we all go through different emotions and feelings, and right. whichever one we're dealing with. Can invoke a different or stronger or a deeply powerful pain that we 're not able to hold on to right at that moment, but you just come back, come back, keep going back until you can you can you look at that emotion and you turn it around, you look on all sides, and you know i don 't know bounce off the floor, and then you say okay i've done i 've done that, and this mm-hmm. is why I say a bit of the time don 't go in there within yourself trying to to heal yourself totally because it 's not possible. Mm-hmm. You have Mm -hmm. to take a small amount of the pain you're feeling or the emotion you're feeling about that person who let you down or Mm -hmm. that person didn't help or that person who made it worse. You know, Mm -hmm. um, did I need to forgive my husband? Yeah, I had to because he was a weak man, you know. And that's hard to think. I married a weak man, you know. And so you start questioning yourself about your own choices in life, you know, if you're not already Mm -hmm. questioning yourself because of your abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can can all do it. We don't need we are the only one that can really validate ourselves we are you know self validation isn't isn't as important as who we feel about and how we feel about ourselves mm-hmm. you know even your statement
0: about your your ex-husband is i think very significant because uh, you know wearing a, marrying a weak man in one sense would feel safer than marrying a dominant and strong and aggressive man so on one level did you choose the safest of options Relative, relevant to what you had experienced, and then it turned out to not be safe because he didn't have the power to actually change something in the face of the bully. Uh, in, in that he evidenced himself to your husband. How do you feel about that
1: idea? Actually, you chose someone that was safer. In yeah, I don't think it was a conscious choice, but maybe I mm-hmm. did you know, um I guess you fall in love and you don't really know someone until you live with them mm-hmm. totally true. you know That's um true. and so you've got this person that you grow to know um, you never really know them until well, you never really know them ever you know you're always yes. learning from somebody else you're with um so maybe I did, but I also knew that I could control that I could control mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. in my own way, I had to have control of my life so marrying someone that i felt I would make me lose control again was never an option i suppose but this is always this is thought, you know past not it's i can i can say it now but it's not obviously why i married him then cuz why would i you know um and i always sort of knew that he never could help me you know my stepfather used to put letters through the door i'd get i don't know sometimes 10 a day um all handwritten. Oh, wow. oh my gosh some would say um you know I was a whore, a slut, you know. I was a a demon child, never look in the mirror because you'll see the devil looking back at you. And then an hour later, um, I'd have a letter to the door saying, he loved me, you know, he needed to be with me. We'd sell the business and we'd go away together. You know, we were meant to be. And an hour later, I'd have another one saying over and over. You know, so it was just like repetitive. And (laughs) I actually gave them to my husband. After about two weeks of having these, I sat and read them and I thought, you know, I hadn't shown anyone, and um, I didn't quite know what to do with them. And I thought, I'm going to show him. And he sat and read these letters. And he then stood up, put them down, and, and left the room. And I thought, okay, that's a bit of a strange reaction. So okay. I followed mm-hmm. him into the other room. And uh, he said, Well, why did you show me that? I can't do anything about it. And I oh said, my no, gosh. and the reason, I- yeah, and you know, huh. I said to him, that The reason I've shown you is because I know you can't do anything about them. More than that, I know you won't. And I needed you. To just to make make me fully aware that I had, had who you were. I knew you would do that, and I needed you to show me you would. And it just, I then knew I was on my own. I had to test the last point or the last hold or stranglehold in the world I felt I had, any part of strength that was in me and around me. I had to test that, and I did. And he failed the test, but, you know, it wasn't a shock. Um, and then I'm on my own, so then you, you're on you and you have to, deal with it you have to get on with your life and you have to find a way and you can everyone can
0: it's almost like you had to say damn i'm the strongest person in my life this sucks Mm. but let's get on with it i mean it's just like it's such a a clear clear moment to know i i'm i'm the one aren't i i am the one that has to face this that has to work through this yeah it's it's amazing you know so Teresa, I have found that individuals take a really long time to explicate themselves from abusive situations, to actually get themselves out of the actual situation, to escape is what I call about. People have power as they endure it. And actually that endurance is uh, those qualities of capability of enduring and maneuvering and twisting through. But that's under the shroud of it coexisting and living under the oppression of the abuse and then they and then they they plan their escape or or they somehow escape or they move themselves out whether it's slow or fast or deliberate and conscious or subtle but they they escape and maybe that escape in part is a psychological one but definitely a, a, a physically physically there's got to be some statement to it now in the process of all this um uh, I found that individuals will go back often because an abuser will say things like, you know, forgive me, I'm so sorry, it's just that I love you so much, I get really jealous, or, you know, I'll try harder, it won't happen again. And then out of the goodness of this really uh, enduring and long-suffering abused victim, they say, okay, I will forgive you. We'll push a reset button, we'll start over again. And that is a horrible moment in my mind when a person will say, I forgive you to a chronic abuser. I'm not talking about a one time, where, and I, here we get into really murky waters here, but a chronic abuser to, to feel obliged to shift into forgiving someone to me is a highly dangerous obligation. And I think that it's a a reflection of a suppression in society where we are told, you know, you made your bed sleep in it or, Mm -hmm. you know, know, people are imperfect and you just have to kind of endure them and help them out or, well, you know, they need your help, rescue them. Or in the Christian Mm -hmm. world, the the verses that say a wife should be submissive to a husband and be long-suffering and long-enduring and, Mm -hmm. you know, have faith and trust this whole arena of forgiveness to me is highly, highly dangerous. And I think it's also dangerous for people who are moving out of their escape and into their recovery because it is uh, really blurred with toxic experiences to forgive. Uh, so can we, can we navigate this word differently differently? There's a big difference between releasing, there's a big difference between understanding, there's a big difference between seeing reality of who these people are and saying, okay, you know, you are who you are, I'm not going to change you, I'm going to move on, I'm not going to hold animosity towards you because I don't want to endure the the toxicity of animosity and revenge, but you know what, forgive Mm -hmm. you, Mm, now that's an entirely different level. Okay, that's my rant, but I want to hear your response.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, I think when we talk about forgiveness, it's not about the other person. It's not about our abuser. Forgiveness is we forgive them because we need you to forgive ourselves of the involvement. So the word forgive could be anything. It could be let go. It could be you don't matter anymore. It could be you don't affect me anymore. It could be all those things. But the forgiveness, the real forgiveness is of ourselves. Um, and then uh, you never, once you've done that, you never go back into that situation. I think people that stay within that are those that never really forgive their self or the part they feel they're playing it because they're told they have a part to play. Like I was told I was a bad child. I was like my father. You know, um, when you feel you're part of the, the the situation, you're causing part of the reaction from that other person then you tend to feel, well, you know, maybe if I could change that bit about me, that's what's making them do that to me, you know. Um, and it's very dangerous because, you know, as I yes. say, forgiveness has got to be for you. But I had a radio show a couple of years ago now, and um, it was a live show, and somebody came on a chat chat line through via um, the computer to say that she was in prison. She was doing 15 years um, for killing her stepfather. And basically what happened, she was abused up to the age of 14. Um, He Mm -hmm. also beat her mother um, and she ran away and she went into prostitution, drugs. um, uh, And she really, you know, dropped so low that there was nowhere to go. But she could never, ever forgive or let go. So Mm -hmm. she went back, she, she bought a gun, she went and she killed him. Um, And she asked me live on air, did she do the right thing? And I mean, Mm -hmm. what do I say? Because taking a human life, Mm -hmm. I can't say is the right thing, but I don't know Mm -hmm. how far away I was from doing that. But what Mm -hmm. my response to her was, he took all those years from you, now he's taken another 15, and he's not even here to know it. Mm -hmm. So if you put that analogy as in, okay, don't go buy a gun and shoot someone, but don't let them take the rest of your life from you. You know, do it in a, a manner that is, you know, for you, not, not violent. It could be anything. It's, and it is all, you know, a spiral around this forgiving yourself. Because people do go back because they feel that they've done something to cause that reaction. You know, um, and it's when we realize that's not true. You know, we, we really need to look at who we are. Remove ourselves from them. Put ourselves in a position where we deal with us. And we don't have anything to do with them. Okay, whatever happens in six months' time, if you, you're going to go back there, maybe you went back with you're a different mindset, you're a different person. And I've also known that happen because mm-hmm. the person's gone back after dealing with their own, you know, pain and self-worth and you know everything else around that. They go back into these relationships, and they're different relationships, and they mm-hmm. are that because of what work they've done on themselves. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's true. I see people heal themselves from being abusive. Uh, It's rare, to be quite honest, because often the abusiveness is so ingrained in upbringings. It's ingrained in disposition. It's ingrained in narcissism or self-righteousness. You know, it's very ingrained. And I do warn individuals often, that if they're thinking that this other person has really changed, you have got to make sure that they are tested, tried, and true for years, years. Mm, absolutely. Or for yeah. contemplating. But
1: it's about you. An awful lot about is you. What have you? What? Who you were then and who you are now? You know, I would never go back to, into an abusive relationship. But you know, that's retrospect. That's me knowing that mm-hmm. now, and I wouldn't put myself in that position. Um, mm-hmm. But people do, you know, I mean, I get very many calls from abusers, which I've had a couple of radio hosts say to me. They vet the calls before I answer the question, which I always say not to do because I'm quite happy to answer anything. Mm. Um, They have sort of said to me, look, we've got someone on the phone, but it's an abuser, but they want to talk to you. And I said, fine, you know, um, Mm. what you want to talk to them. I said, well, in some small, small, small way, they're ringing, they're listening, It's not a show Mm -hmm. to big up abusers. It's about abusive and abuse and abusing Mm -hmm. others. So the fact they've picked up the phone, and it's never been confrontational. You know, they've said stuff to me like, um, you know, well, I was abused. Well, you know, there was always a reason for their behavior. And I Mm -hmm. do say, you know, quite strongly that there is no reason for that behavior. But a small part of me thinks they're listening they've made you know they pick the phone up is that some small movement away from what they're actually putting others through i guess it's
0: a big difference between having the grace and the the space to be able to help anybody who reaches out for authentic assistance and Mm -hmm. uh feeling like you once again might be looped into a manipulative trap of a con artist or gaslighting or an allure, which is also part of the grooming of an abused individual. So uh, there's a big difference between being able to sense when someone is authentic and when someone is um, manipulative but even when they're authentic, you know, they have patterns that are deeply ingrained and have to be deeply worked through. I, I just mm-hmm. caution individuals to: we we have a culture of wanting to um, give people the benefit of the doubt, of being long suffering, of being long enduring, of 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 compassion and kindness. I love those qualities of our of different subcultures and cultures and human beings, and even in myself. But I feel that those are all from the very glitches that allow us to be hooked and, mm. and thrown into the back of a fisherman's boat for bait. You know, it's like it, it, we yeah. have to be
1: savvy. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Um, I don't, well, I don't think, you, you know, if you, if you abuse, I think you will always abuse. In what manner could alter. You know, it can be sort of right out there to see or it can be, you know, in the background. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you have that part of your being, then it's like every other part of your being, it's there. You know, the same as um, our pain <laughs> is there. Um, we have to know and be really sure that that person it has altered. And as you say, most can't. But, you know, when you heal yourself, it doesn't matter if they do. Because when they're asking you go back and they're that abuser, and you go back because they're saying they're going to change. When you actually take yourself away from them and go within and heal, when they ask you to go back, you don't want to because you see them differently. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is is once you deal with yourself, everything within you, and you, you strive towards recovery, it doesn't matter how many times they ask you to go back. You won't want to go because you see who they are and what they are, and you know that you're better than that. <laughs>
0: So your definition of forgiveness is not to press the restart button and start over again. Your definition of forgiveness is not that you forget and let them off the hook and say, "Okay, no worries, no punishment, no, no, you, you, you don't deserve any of the outcome of your of your situation." You're not suggesting that that's what forgiveness is. Um, it, it's you're suggesting that forgiveness is that release, that letting it go, yeah. remaining savvy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you're also the other side of the forgiveness is uh, forgiving yourself. And I I actually find this complicated and odd as well. And you are a, a perfect person to talk about it because while you may have felt that you were bad and felt that you were guilty uh, of uh, doing things that aggravated the situation, the truth is, oh gosh, I'm not sure I can say the word truth, but the truth is, you were not bad. You were not guilty. You were responding and coping and trying to express your empowerment and trying to flee and gain clarity. You were not the bad person that aggravated this person into being abusive. So to forgive oneself implies that you were guilty, in my mind. Well, it does. Or perhaps,
1: yeah. It, no more. It, it, it can, I guess, be, be thought, you know, in that way. But, I mean, I used to avoid mirrors because I didn't walk, I ducked my head so I couldn't see my reflection, you ah. know, um, because I really thought I was evil, you know, and that was this is bad person within. And the first thing I ever did to start my, one of my first, one thing that I started with, is I made myself look in the mirror you know, and mm. it was the hardest thing in the world. But I, had, I looked, and I looked, and I looked at my eyes, my nose, I looked at my face, I was, you're not the devil, you're not evil, you know, this is you, you're just a person. Right. And right. it was recognition right. that I was a person, you know, mm-hmm. f- mirrored to me, that mm. um, started the process, what, I'm looking at me, I'm not what he says, now I need to look further. I look inside mm. myself and find, you know, because I'm not bad. You know, understanding that right. even if I was bad, the one thing I always felt, even if I was bad, I'm a child, you know, yes. what do I do? Yeah. You're an adult, yeah. you know, so um, are you good or bad it really doesn't matter. You know, as a, as a child, it's an adult, it's, it's, it's sexual abuse. But, you know, that one thing for me, that was that one thing, I can look in the mirror and I don't see evil looking back at me. And I did for mm-hmm. so long. When did you learn to love
0: yourself, whatever the word "love yourself" means, or respect yourself or how how have you shifted like you talked about forgiveness or guilt or culpability or and then shifting into oh, no, that's not me, that's not reality that's not, that's not clarity that's the that is the shroud of dishonesty by the abuser, and then you shift into do you say? Hi Teresa. I love you. I appreciate you i respect you i i admire you i i have uh this this sense of of glad you're my partner yeah. What's that shift like mm-hmm.
1: uh, i think first of all it it starts with other people telling you that and you struggle with believing um mm. and then you know you start to sort of Think about these side issues away from them, you know, and sort of dissect it yourself and um, sort of say, good, bad, what is good, bad? you know um what did I do and I think it 's a process of you know dissecting what that you 've been told that you say, Well, hang on a minute no i 'm not that you know um, i didn 't do what they said I did, they cannot compare me with my father i didn 't hit anyone i didn 't you know beat my mother or partner or my sibling um, and you need to mirror who you are. And by doing so, you mirror about the right image because the image that's put there before is by somebody else. So you look for you. And that's mm-hmm. in any way you can. You look for you because you're there. You know, you were born, you are a child. You didn't, you know, you're, you're an innocent. Mm-hmm. So you were turned into this, you know, hurt, scared, whatever you are, um, child by the actions of somebody else. So yes. that child's still in there. So you just go and you say, "Hi, you know, nice to meet you, but can we start again? Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to rebuild my life. I the starts of mm-hmm. healing that child.: I
0: had this image of Harry Potter with your beautiful accent, of course that's Americans, naively. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> but here is the image that an abuser converts uh, their victim into an ugly toad, an ugly frog, and then it behooves mm-hmm. the victim to have to learn their own magic to pop themselves back into being the prince and the princess they originally were. And to discover your own magic, it may require borrowing someone else's wand. And that's my metaphor for the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This sounds like a good one to me. (laughs) I thank you so much for spending this time with us and helping us. I do look forward to our next discussion as well, because you have a plethora of wisdom and help for people who are, are, are on the road to recovery anything you'd like to say to our listeners they know how to catch your website by looking at uh, TeresaJoyce.com, t-e-r-e-s-a-j-o-y-c-e.com your book is offered three, free through that website you have a wonderful set of blogs that are so interesting uh, do you still do your radio show
1: yeah, I do. I'm not doing as many now, but anyone out there that would like to do, if I, the more people I reach, you know, the better I like to, you know, it's the best thing for me. I can sort of, I'd stalk all day every day if it helps somebody else. The one um, thing I want to tell you listeners, love yourself, because oh, you yeah. are the most important person in the world. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Whew.
1: Take that in, folks. Take it in. Deeply
0: feel it to the best of your ability. Cultivate it. Groom it. Grow it like a seed that's in weak soil and make sure that it sprouts because we need you on this planet to be the advocates for self-love and, and kindness. Uh, Teresa, you definitely are one of those advocates that just take us out of horrible situations and into the hope and the clarity of what recovery requires. Thank you so much for sharing who you are with me as well. Lovely to talk to you, Carol. Okay. Folks, go about your day find your own magic wand, find your way of treating yourself and friends friends as prince or princess, you actually are, so that you can live a life that's full and free and meaningful, and we all work toward recovery. And Dr. Carol Francis is a wonderful author to read Choice, and that is fine, there's a fine line of her books.